Welcome to the Man on Second Podcast, part of the Coach and Kernan Podcast Network. I'm Joe Forsaro, and we're back with another terrific show. And before we kind of dive in, I'm just going to remind that here at the network, we aim to raise the baseball IQ of our listeners. And today, uh, our special guest is really going to you know, give a real educational value. Not Yes, we're going to talk baseball. Uh, yes, we're going to, you know, we're going to talk prospects and such, but we're also going to talk business. And what I mean by that, the business of life. And my, um, we're going to talk about financial planning, preparation for life. And our special guest today is no stranger to University of Miami uh, fans, Alex Santos. Alex is uh, a UBS uh, financial, with UBS Financial Services. Um, he's also a former player. At the at UM, um, he played on the 1999 national championship team. 1998 had a terrific season. Uh, is a Hall of Famer in the Canes. I believe 2010 uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, he had an eight-year pro baseball career. Drafted by the Tampa Bay Rays, he played in the Oakland A's uh, organization as well. And um, and why the timing of this podcast I felt was was special this week is I'm doing the podcast remotely. I am at the perfect game of the, uh, event in Jupiter, Florida. I'm in my hotel room as we're doing this. And UBS is a partner with Perfect Game uh, this weekend. And Alex is uh, very much in connected. A couple of weeks back, I, I guess he went to, we'll get into it, he went to Phoenix. But um, he does a lot of talking, financial planning with parents and kids. And and especially in the environment now with NILs and and in social media and, and so much going on, um, Alex is the perfect guest. Alex, welcome to the show. We're honored to have you. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for having me. It's an honor and a privilege and uh, looking forward to being on the show. So thank you again. Yeah. I mean, let's start off before we dive in. I, you're over in Tampa, you know, we, the state, we just had a, a terri- you know, horrific uh, hurricane event. You and your family. Okay. Everything okay at home. Thankfully, uh, Tampa was spared. I, I tell people we, we, we dodged an atomic missile because that's exactly what hurricane Ian was. Unfortunately, for our family and friends in Southwest Florida and other Floridians, it, it's been a tough two weeks. So I think we've all seen the video footage. So prayers and um, and uh, wishful thinking for everybody in Southwest Florida, Joe. Yeah. And, you know, as in um, Alex is from South Florida and we've had our share more than our share and our and our you know support and hearts are out there and we're going to recognize that. And there are ways for people to contribute uh, if they want to help out for those who were really more directly impacted by the storm. But as, as we jump into this, um, Alex, kind of talk to us a little bit about how you transition from from player to, you know, being part of um, you know, the financial services and UBS. Oh, great, great question, Joe. Um, so many people um, may not know, uh, since I'm in the Hall of Fame at Miami, that I was actually an academic walk-on to the baseball program at the University of Miami. So I was fortunate enough to be recruited to play. I wasn't fortunate enough to be offered a scholarship athletically, but I did receive one academically. So my major was in finance the four years that I was an undergrad at Miami. Um, and by the time I was drafted inside with the Tampa Bay Rays, I already had graduated with my degree in finance. Um, before I played my first professional season of baseball, I interned with uh, what they call an RIA. It's an acronym for Registered Investment Advisory Firm 
in Coconut Grove named Campbell Williams. And I started working part-time in the off seasons to help out that firm. And I got my first license, um, Series 65, which made me a registered investment advisor for the state of Florida back in 1999, before I actually started my first pro season in spring of 2000. Okay. So, and obviously, you know, it's led you down a path. And why I find it fascinating is while you never achieved the big leagues, you, you had a great career, obviously, to get to pro ball, to be, you know, a, a All-American, basically, in, in, in college, and you're connected to the game still. And where do you think, you know, the message you get as with this connection with Perfect Game and dealing with, with young people and young players? And, you know, talk about that and, and the mission that you guys are doing right now. I think it goes um, back to Perfect Game and their mission, uh, whether it's Perfect Game Inc. or Perfect Game Cares Foundation, which is trying to raise awareness in the community. Um, both Perfect Game and everyone involved in Perfect Game, along with uh, UBS, myself and my team, we just feel it's incredibly important to provide education for every player, right? No different than making sure you have a strength coach, making sure you have a nutrition coach, making sure you have a social media coach, uh, NIL advisor. I think it's incredibly important for kids, right? Because a lot of them are 18 to 21, or some of the college kids are a little bit older, or even the big leaguers. They need to know where their money is, how it's working for them, and understand the risks associated with it so that they could have success after the game of baseball, which will last, for most guys, 40 to 50 years post-career. No, there, there's no doubt. These are real valuable. And, I, and you know, um, our producer, Dave, Dave, what, we're, we're like in 40-something countries. People are listening to the podcast network, and we have a, a good number of of younger kids that, that are going in. So that's why I think Alex's messages on this podcast are going to be really important, um, you know, to just kind of remind that 42 countries, Dave, Dave's let me know uh, that, you know, you have to plan. You, if you're, if you're gifted enough to put yourself in a position to be drafted, to get that college scholarship, um, you know, what do you, what, when you meet with these, uh, with the, with the families and the kids, um, Alex, what are, you know, what is that like? What's that interaction? I know a, a couple of weeks back, you guys were out in Phoenix at Chase Field, uh, the home of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And just what was that like? And just kind of take our listeners through what that interaction might be like um, out there. Yes. Yeah, so uh, Perfect Game tasked uh, myself and UBS with uh, putting on a educational symposium for the parents of the top 50 to 60 high school baseball All-Americans in Phoenix at Chase Field. Um, what that looked like was a panel of roughly 12 individuals that covered a number of different um, subject matters. Um, and I tried to find experts that were not affiliated with UBS um, to help guide parents with the questions they may have. So I think education and information is power. Uh, I think everyone believes that. So for instance, you know, on the panel, we had a social media expert, we had an NIL expert, we had a mental skills expert, we had someone to talk about, you know, physical therapy and strength. 
Um, we had former major league baseball players with 10 plus year careers. One who was a first rounder um, and went ninth overall and has been in the game of baseball for 45 years and kind of had his journey lead him from high school to the big leagues. Another big leaguer who had a successful career that uh, went the college route and made it. Um, so it's a lot of experts, a lot of individuals who have been around the game that are covering topics that we feel is important. You know, also attorneys, CPAs, obviously, when they get those bonuses um, and those big contracts, there's taxes involved with that. How does that work? Uh, attorneys, everybody knows an athlete's a target, right? You're famous. Exactly. Um, you could be a target. So how do you protect yourself on and off the field? So we tried to put a panel of experts together and then we kind of open it back for feedback and, and see how we can improve year over year and add more individuals or more experts to kind of add value to the parents and also the players through their journey uh, into the draft as seniors in high school. Are you getting a common theme or feedback that you may not have anticipated that that a parent might have concerns like, you know, you, you might have an idea and then you find out that, whoa, this is really an important, you know, um, topic that, you know, just kind of a, a pointer that you could give a point of reference to? I would say this year, um, it was the first year we had uh, NIL expert. Um, and NILs are becoming so big, obviously, at the University of Miami, we've had a lot of press about NILs in South Florida, which we're all aware of. Um, parents were really interested because, you know, the focus on NILs was is football and basketball because you hear all these big deals going on. Um, but, you know, there is a lot of laws regarding NILs and how you're supposed to be approached and how you should communicate um, between schools and compliance officers so you don't jeopardize your amateur career. And there's a lot of other intricacies about the NIL space that a lot of parents don't understand. Also, there's a lot of there's there was bigger money um, being talked about than I think a lot of parents ever imagined in the baseball space. So I would say that's one specific example where parents were asking a lot of questions because it's so new. A lot of individuals don't understand, um, you know, the, the correct process on how to approach on NIL deals, what they should do when they're offered them, who they should talk to, who they should consult with. Um, does that make sense, Joe? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting. I'm going to just give a life experience. I, in my former life, when I covered the NFL, I, I used to work at the, the Tampa Tribune for many years. And, you know, it's obviously no longer in existence in, in the Tampa Bay area. Um, and I covered the Buccaneers for four years before I moved down to Miami and I covered UM and, um, and, and the Dolphins mainly in the, in the Marlins. I don't think it might background there but uh I, I was one time i was i was getting a new car i was on the buccaneer beat i was getting a new car and i just happened to be at the dealer and one of the buccaneer uh rookie draft picks was there um his name's not even relevant but he might have signed alex roughly this is we're talking about 1990 ish 1991 he might have he's like a third rounder he might have gotten let's say three hundred thousand. you know not the exact number i don't know but it's in that ballpark and he was buying essentially like a $70,000 car. And I remember, you know, because I could just overhear and see what he was doing. And, and I don't think the guy played a year in the NFL. You know, and I started thinking, you know, how many athletes are like, like this athlete who's almost put a third of his signing bonus into a car? 
that, and, and his career never really used the football end of it, never took off. And that just kind of struck me as, you know, some of the pitfalls young athletes had to watch for. You may come across quick money and you could blow it pretty fast. No, absolutely. That's that's a story that's been told many times. And I think it starts with the planning aspect that you mentioned earlier. And before planning, you have to educate them on the value of money and how money can work for you. Um, And it really starts with a really good budget. Uh, I've seen that a lot of times. But in reality, most of these kids at 18 or 21, they don't even have credit. It's really in their best interest probably to get a competitive, you know, car loan finance the vehicle so that they can build their credit because whether you make it in the NFL or not, I think every, you know, the American dream is home ownership. So how do you buy a home in America without credit? So um, there's some life lessons and, and a lot of educational things that go into buying a car and maybe how to structure that. And to your point, spending a third of your bonus on a car when you probably have to pay a third in taxes doesn't leave you with a lot after the fact that you have to live on during your professional and then your post post-professional career. Yeah. And, and, you know, and you're, you're not that old of a guy, right? You're, you're still pretty young. You know, I think you're only, it's probably could still pitch, right, Alex? You probably, I saw some uh, YouTube video of you, but the, the landscape of these athletes, it's, it's, it's a different world now than it was four years ago. Um, what I've noticed in, you know, just covering some of these perfect game events and, and I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm semi-retired. I'm doing these podcasts, but I'm, I kind of dabbled back with some some um, freelance football stuff, and I'm talking to a lot of these high school kids. It's, you know how good football is in South Florida, especially. And you know, some of these kids they they know they're already going to either Alabama or Auburn or UM or or FSU. They already know that, so they're not playing against you know in a ten game schedule. They might be playing really five games because they're not going to risk anything in games they feel they gain nothing out of. It's a, it's a different culture for the for the high school athlete right now. What are you kind of noticing on that in that sphere? I think it's a completely different landscape today than it was 20 years ago uh, or 10 years ago. Um, you know, 20 years ago when I played, Perfect Game really was in its embassy and travel ball wasn't really a thing. It was just starting when I started at Miami or 25 years ago. So I think there's been an evolution of sports. And, and the first part of that was, you know, select tournaments and, and, and travel ball on the baseball side, which allowed local athletes in South Florida to get exposure as far as the Northwest United States. So that every scout within the 50 States, um, could see what type of talent they were playing against. I think in the last five to 10 years, probably five, I think social media, uh, the internet um, connectivity has been a huge factor that's evolved the game a lot faster than people have realized. So now not only do you have, you know, travel ball and select festival tournaments that kids can play in at a very young age, now it's being streamed, live streamed, tape delayed streamed you get to see this talent 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 days a year um and not only that most kids have facebook uh instagram snapchat they're more accessible now so you know a high school kid who in the past thought he was good but didn't realize how good he was 25 years ago or 10 years ago 
you know, now they could simply get a message from a, someone who wants to be their family advisor and tell them that he's the best talent they've seen in 40 years or 20 years. So I think it's technology and, and connectivity to the players have allowed players to realize how talented they are compared to their peers. And it's kind of elevated their status in the social media and also the prospect and recruiting world. Um, At least that's what I've seen. I don't know um, what other uh, guests have told you in the past, but that's kind of what I've seen. It's, it's just a different ball game altogether. It's, it's, I think it's good. It's just different from, you know, how it was, you know, five years ago, much less 20 or 40 years ago. There's no doubt. No, I'm, I'm 100% with you. It is. I love the technology. I love the the innovation. I love the creativity and I love the opportunity. And and as just uh, before we, we started the podcast, I was transcribing an interview I did with one of the perfect game players and his coach was noting, you know, just from this event, you know, in Jupiter and they have them in Fort Myers, it used to be in Tampa and so forth. Um, that you meet lifelong friends, the people that are part, invited to his wedding uh, were people that he met at perfect game events from different states. So it, it does kind of, and we know the baseball community and the athletic community is a fraternity. You know, you, you know, just you and I, in a, our first conversation, we, we've connected with, we know various people because of baseball in, in this industry. And, and that is very valuable and it helps in their branding. I know that's the big word these days. And, and just talk about like the branding, cause you, you want to, like you say, what you guys are doing at UBS and, and guiding as well and offering advice, you want that brand to be a good brand and realize that there, there's a lot of distractions that could kind of hurt your brand if you don't make good choices. No, absolutely. I think, um, from a branding perspective, our social media marketing and branding subject matter experts at the symposiums have done an incredible job of highlighting, you know, the do's or don'ts, um, what they should and shouldn't do. Um, for instance, you know, stay positive. Um, if you're if you're in the big leagues and you're married, like, you know, showcase your kids, showcase your family. Um, the do's and don'ts, uh, you know, probably stay at a you know, political and other affairs, or, you know, if you're upset about something, just, you know, sleep on it 72 hours and don't post it, you know, so there's many ways where you can improve your branding um, outside of your performance on the field. And in it, and it makes you a valuable asset because now you have marketing dollars um, that can enrich you as much as, you know, the professional contract dollars you make on the field. Now, whether that's in baseball, basketball, football, rowing, tennis, whichever sport you choose and you excel in, you know, there's definitely opportunity on the branding side. Yeah. And, and let's go back to the NILs a little bit, because I, I, you, yes, there, you, you kind of have to have probably going to have to need some guardrails, uh, you know, along the way as they kind of navigate through this, but I do like it. And Alex, why, one of the reasons I like is obviously the players, you know, getting an opportunity, not everyone's going to hit and be a, a big time major league baseball player. And But if you had a pretty darn good career and you're able to make money and get your education and parlay that money to a foundation to, to get your life started in, in a good way, um, I'm all for it, you know, and, and it's and it's, uh, you know, advertising the sport as well as the player. No, absolutely. And I think uh, what 
some people may or may not realize is that every family dynamic is different, especially in baseball. Some families really, really put emphasis on their children going to college. And, and this is specific to baseball because baseball, you can really, you can make 500000 200000 or $10 million out of the draft. There's families that truly feel they want their children to have a college education. So in the event that they're a special talent, and they can get an incredibly good NIL deal, right? Name, image, and likeness, even though it's kind of funky for what it is, right? It's really the the player's brand. Um, you know, there's something to be said if 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 a college baseball player has the potential to make, I don't know, $100,000 a year for four years and go to school for free, you know, um, if he's offered only two hundred and fifty or 500000 in a professional contract at a high school. I'm sure MLB probably doesn't like me saying this right now, but you know, it's definitely now there's food for thought. There's a little bit of leverage and, and parents, you know, if their children, you know, are kind of in between on the bonus money part and it's not life changing money, you know, that's definitely an added advantage to going to school and getting a college education. No question. I mean, I thought, I think what it's done, especially now in baseball with the 20 round draft instead of the 40 and and maybe 50 when, you know, when you were coming out uh, rounds and you're, you're going to see that with the transfer portal as well, you know, you could go from one school. If my opportunity is not, let's say Vanderbilt, I could go to UM or or whatnot. Um, That I thought a guy like Jackson holiday, the number one overall pick, being the son of Matt Holliday, you know, the great former player, and even a Drew Jones who went number two in this draft, that those two guys could have gone to college and made a lot of money if they didn't get the bonus. Now, both got over $8 million to, to be 1-1 and 1-2 overall. But if you're not in that class and you were like a late first round or a second, maybe the, the top two or three rounds still are probably the money from from the uh, pro ball is probably going to get you there. But I think it's going to guide a lot of people to college. No, absolutely. And, you know, those are two incredible players. You know, I believe they're going to have in- incredible careers. Um, you know, both are special players. You know, Jackson's grandfather, I believe, coached at the University of Miami under Ron Frazier at one point before he, he and uh, his other son uh, coach at Oklahoma State. So, you know, Jack, Jackson and uh, Andrew come from an incredibly, r- incredible pedigree baseball families. Um, and, you know, they're level headed and they're just really great players, you know. But to your point, you know, eight million dollars is life changing money. Right. Um, you know, had they not had that, they would have had every opportunity to go to a major program and possibly make pretty good money in the NIL space. I just don't know what that looks like. Right. For each of them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they, the MLB made it work, you know, made, made that a moot point, obviously. But, you know, and just for our listeners, both of those players um, and Tamar Johnson, who was like, I believe, the fourth overall pick who went to Pittsburgh, they were all here last year at this time in Jupiter, Florida playing. And uh, we look from, from what I'm feeling, we don't have the, um, the, the like one, one type of uh, player in this, uh, in this uh, field, in this tournament right now, but we do have um, a good number of players that are going to be that late first rounder projectable. And a couple of kids I've talked to seem pretty strong uh, college commits right now. Yeah. From what I've heard, and obviously the, 
the cool thing about what I do in wealth management is my niche in in baseball and my lifelong um, connections allows me to kind of talk baseball every day or every other day. So it's really cool talking to everybody um, just from, you know, friends that are still in the baseball world, whether they're in the front office or scouts locally or, or part of agencies. Um, they've all said, you know, it's a deep class. There's a lot of talent, um, but they also referenced last year was a special class. Um, you know, I believe um, maybe I, I don't know the number, but I believe possibly seven of the top 10 picks played in perfect game last summer at the All-American oh, game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, Elijah Green was supposed to, and he, he, he was on the roster, but he, he, he didn't attend, but it was, it was, uh, there were a lot of golf carts, as you know, and the more golf carts, that's where all the scouts ride from field to field on these backfields. You always know when the, there were plenty, there's no shortage of golf carts. You couldn't even like get close to the fence by foot, you know, when those guys were there. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, um, a big event, and I encourage anyone out there listening uh, to to come out to to if you're in at Jupiter in the Palm Beach County and and in the area, just come out and watch some of these games. There's an incredible town that goes 8 a.m. to you know about 10 o'clock at night uh, now and through the through the weekend at Roger Dean uh, Chevrolet Stadium, home of the spring training home of the Marlins and the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, we're going to pivot, Alex. I want to talk a little bit about your career. You know, and and just kind of, you know, you were on some really special UM teams. I'm sure some of our South Florida listeners that remember you. And uh, just, you know, what? It, how special was it that time? And like you say, you were you were teammates with Pat Burrell and and Jason Michaels and more. And just kind of take us down memory lane of your career. Well, I grew up watching Florida State, Miami, playing college football. So wide right, wide left. Florida at that point was kind of the third school in the state. Um, obviously, they, they're better now. Um, but yeah, you know, growing up, all my friends were either Hurricanes or, or Seminoles. Um, so I dreamed of playing uh, baseball at Miami. So once I got there, um, it was it was special. Uh, I remember J.D. Artiega, who's the pitching coach now, and Alex Cora being kind of the leaders of that team when I redshirted. Um, they kind of taught us what it meant to be a hurricane. And, you know, if we were down in a midweek game early or uh, during the weekend game, Cora would just look at it and you go, hey, guys, we got this. We're going to win. So it wasn't it was understood that no matter what, we were going to win that game. And it was that culture um, and that drive for excellence that made that program good. Um, I believe when I was there. Because I redshirted, I, I was there four years. Uh, at one point, we went six years in a row to the College World Series, which may have been a record, still may be a record for a college program. Um, and they were special years. I bleed orange and green, always have, always will. Uh, Miami has a special heart, place in my heart. Um, I love the U. Um, but, you know, whether it's from an athletic standpoint, playing baseball, being part of the athletic program, and more importantly, what I received from the academic um, portion of, of, of my days at Miami, it's some of the best days of my life. Um, and I wouldn't trade it in for anything in the world. And it didn't hurt that we, I think we were ranked pretty much top five every year for the four years I was there. And we always had a shot to win the national championship and finally did in my last year in 99. So um, special group of guys, special group of friends, um, not only on the baseball field, but throughout the athletic department. 
all all the different sports teams uh, when they say they use like a family and a brotherhood it's really true you go to university of miami sports hall of fame events guys that played 15 years in the nfl that are hall of famers uh, they'll walk up to you give you a hug and, and treat you treat you awesome you know it's it's one big family and it's it's great to be a part of it yeah and you you had a choice to make right because um you were drafted by the dodgers i believe what was it after in 98 or 97, whatever year it was. And, uh, and you, you returned to UM, uh, talk about that decision you had to make. Yeah. 1998, I was, I, I was a redshirt sophomore. So I was a junior. So based on the fact that I was a junior, even though I was still 20, cause normally 21 is the age of the draft, unless you finish three years. Um, I was surprised. And while I was at the college world series, uh, the Dodgers picked me in the third round in 1998. Um, so after we got home, um, Ron Polk, legendary Mississippi State coach, called me at home after my initial offer. And he, he actually he told me, hey, Alex, you have time to sign. You know, when's the next chance you'll ever have to represent the United States of America and pitch in a World Cup for your country and wear red, white and blue with your last name on the back as a starting pitcher? Um Coach Polk's legendary, and uh, he was instrumental in, in me at least delaying signing and playing for Team USA that summer in 1998, where we ended up uh, playing for the World Cup, but we didn't win in Italy. Um, and then I kind of got back, and I really was thinking I was going to sign with the Dodgers, and things didn't line up, and I I ultimately it came down to a really hard choice because I was an academic walk-on and I didn't have baseball scholarship money. So I called coach Morris as we call three. And I said, Hey coach, um, I think I may come back. You know, do you have any scholarship money for me? He goes, Alex, it's school's almost about to start. You went in the third round guys like you aren't supposed to come back. We don't have any money. So if you decide to come back, you're on your own. So I said, all right, coach three, I'll call you in the morning. Um, so I slept on it. Uh, my parents are immigrants from Portugal and Europe. So I spoke with them that night because you can imagine they never made a lot of money as immigrants in the United States of America. And the money I was about to turn down was a lot of money for the family. So um, woke up the next day with conviction, called Coach Morris, and I said, Coach, I'm coming back and we're going to win a national championship. And that was my goal that I set out from the time I turned down the Dodgers in 1998 was to come back in 99 graduate with a degree in finance and win a national championship. And, you know, thankfully to God and, and, and all my teammates and everything that kind of uh, meshed together perfectly. That's exactly what happened. I was able to graduate with a degree in um, finance. I was honored by um, being inducted into Iron Arrow Honor Society at the University of Miami, which is really a big deal for me. Um, and I was fortunate uh, to be the winning pitcher of the 1999 national championship game where we happen to be rival Florida state six to five, which is a really <laughs> sweet taste. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting because it worked out for you the next year because um, Tampa, Tampa Bay takes you in the fourth round and, and, and talk about that, you know, moving on to, to pro ball, you had your ring, you had, you know, you, you kind of bet on yourself and, and it, and it paid off and, uh, and how that led you to the pro end of your career. No, absolutely. I, I was I was fortunate to be drafted in the first pick of the fourth round in '99 by the Tampa Bay Rays or the Devil Rays at that time. 
Uh, and I have fond memories, uh, as we spoke earlier, you know, Josh Hamilton, first pick, Carl Crawford, second, Doug Wechter, a TV personality now, ex-big league pitcher, third. I was a fourth round pick and Seth McClung went in the top five. And there's many other very talented players that went with the Rays in 99. Um, but yeah, I love professional baseball. You know, one of my groomsmen, Andrew Beinbring, All-American third baseman at Arizona State, ended up being one of my best friends and groomsmen in my wedding. I I met and created lifelong friendships and, you know, I was fortunate to play seven slash eight years of professional baseball, whether in affiliated ball or independent ball. And, you know, it's those life experiences that you never forget in those, those, those connections and friendships, right? Cause I think life's all about connecting with people um, and having those interactions uh, and, and experiences. So it, I was fortunate to have eight years of that, and it helped me transition into the the financial services world because I had my degree in finance by the time, you know, I blew out my shoulder. And, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I had shoulder surgery, but I wasn't good enough to make the big leagues. And that's OK. Not everybody is, you know, and I was able um, at least to have a backup plan uh, that enabled me to transition into the financial services world where for me, I'm fortunate to still be part of baseball because I get to help you know, uh, draftees and, and major league superstars, um, with their financial planning. And it's fun. It's fun and it's dynamic and it's just like baseball. Every day is a new day in, in the world of finance. No, Hey, you know, like you said, your path was to go that route. And just for our listeners, Alex was a darn good pitcher, folks. He may not have reached the big leagues. I was watching some of his YouTube videos. Just you watch, watch. He was a really, really good pitcher. I think what thirty-seven wins at UM in in ninety-eight. You won fifteen games, which kind of unheard of. Uh, but you know, it's like dreams could go in all different ways, and and you know, you never really know exactly what path it's going to be. But you were meant to do this, Alex, and uh, and and I know. Uh, you're having fun, like you say, and you're, you're helping people. And now, especially with young people, uh, any last messages you have for some of these, uh, you know, younger guys and, and gals, I know perfect game does stuff for softball as well. And even young people that might be listening that may not be, you know, uh, ready to play at the level of college or, or further athletics, uh, how they should kind of look as they go towards college and, and then their futures. Um, yeah, two things, Joe. I'm going to s- slip something in at the end if you let me. But to, to answer your question, I always say in meetings that if after working with me for two years, you don't know more about your money than you did the day you meet me, I didn't do my job. And the reality is, is whether you're a college graduate that didn't play a professional sport or you're a female or male professional athlete, no advisor no person other than yourself owns your money. Your money is your money. And the most important thing I can say is please educate yourselves. As busy as your stardom may be, right? as, as much as someone may give you other responsibilities to tackle in your professional career, Please make sure that you put your financial success and your financial education at the forefront of your life. Because 
as hard as you work on the field, Joe, to be successful, to be an MLB superstar or NBA superstar, NFL superstar or track superstar, I believe that it's the responsibility of every athlete and college graduate to put the same amount of effort and discipline into their financial success and their financial education because they go hand in hand, right? I come from Lake Worth, Florida. So, you know, you got to work to get out of certain places and work hard, you know? So I, I, it's a shame when athletes earn a hundred million dollars and then they have a story about them being broke and being on 30 for 30. That's something everyone should avoid. And I think education is the key. And you have to be responsible and you got to be um, disciplined and make sure that you take care of your athletic success on the field, but you're also responsible to do what you have to do off the field academically while you're in school, right? And then post-school um, uh, financially. No, great, great and then, points. Uh, and second, I, I would welcome everybody uh, if I'm allowed the universe. No, I would I would. Uh, on October 20th, the University of Miami Sports Hall of Fame has their annual golf tournament. It's the 30th annual, Joe. Yeah. Um, I don't know why they picked a guy who never made the big leagues to be their host this year <laughs> in 2022, but Alex Santos is the host. I would welcome everybody to try to come out and play golf if they can and, you know, help help represent the U, uh, give back to the U and just get out there with a bunch of you know, former Hall of Famers uh, from all the different sports and support the University of Miami and the South Florida sports community. Great, great advice and, and good topics and, and good events on the way. Alex, how can everyone find you? Uh, you can definitely Google Alex Santos, UBS Financial Services. Um, my, my email at work is alex.santos at ubs.com. And my direct dial at the office is 561-416-6907. But if you can't write that down fast enough, just Google Alex Santos UBS Financial Services and you'll see uh, my individual page and uh, my team's uh, page within UBS. Uh, listen, Alex, we really appreciate it and great advice. And I, and I really, you know, what Alex is saying, can't stress enough, you know, young people think your future. I mean, you're, you know, you get to retirement faster than you realize sometimes and you want to make sure you're, you're putting your money in good spots and, and some of these young athletes have an opportunity to run into some money at a young age that they could kind of have work for them as they grow up. Before I let you go out of here, Alex, I want to know your thoughts on Mario and, and the football team. How, how are the Canes going to do? I bleed orange and green and I love Mario. So Mario used to come and watch me play um, when I was at the U. I've met him on a select occasions, whether he remembers that or not. I'm a big fan of Mario. For someone to give up the opportunity he had in Oregon to come back home, that means he's got a plan, he's got a vision, and he's an executor at heart and on the field. I'm praying, but I'm confident Mario's the guy, and I'm looking forward to seeing him coach for the next 20 years um, should he be able to. Yeah, he's going to turn it around. I, I'm, in, I'm in agreement with you. I think Mario Cristobal is going to be a really, really good asset at the University of Miami. We know he's already been in the past, and it just takes a little time to build it right. Alex, we really appreciate you jumping in and, and being part of this. We hope our listeners really got something out of it. A uh, little bit different podcast. We weren't Xing and, and Osing it. We were telling you kind of, you know, how to make good choices. And I hope that's a, a good message moving forward. 
again, I'm at this perfect game event and we'll be talking more about it and, and other events with prospects and so forth in, uh, in our upcoming shows here on the man on second podcast, part of the coach and Kernan podcast network, uh, catch us on all the major podcast forms, um, Apple, um, Spotify, um, Stitcher. I, I always miss them. Dave has to write them down for me, but I think I, I nailed them all. We'll be back next week. And um, everyone, thanks for tuning in. And uh, once again, thanks to Alex and everyone be well. Thank you, Joe.